Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back, everyone. It is episode 12. 12 already? Are you sure? Positive. Feels like we just started. We did. We are in the beginning of our summer season, which is increasing our vulnerability. Last week, Jimmy talked about the five dysfunctions of a team and episode 11 we were starting the path and the pattern but we decided to focus on the most important one which was building trust and how do we do that we go first so moving up the path Mm -hmm. after trust we have conflict healthy conflict is a manifestation of trust everyone feels free to express their opinions and ideas Arguments tend to be about ideas and are not taken personal, right? And debate is plentiful and conflict is sought and is seen as a good thing. So conflict, it's impossible if there's not an environment of trust, right? And in a ministry or church setting, right, it might not always be about, okay, we need to have conflict now about like something we're planning or an agenda or, or, how, an, opinion. or an opinion. Sometimes it is, you know, it's, it's feelings, Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is things that, you know, we're being vulnerable with each other about how we feel mm-hmm. about things. Uh, and sometimes it's, you know, it's thinking differently, too. Yes. It's understanding that, you know, as I th- believe we talked about this before, but if we haven't, we will now, that the Bible doesn't really care about you being certain about anything. Yeah. You know, most people who are very, very certain in what the Bible says and doesn't say uh, haven't really read it. Right. You know, and, you know, a lot of things that people are very certain about, they're more certain about um, things that are in the New Testament, specifically the letters of Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Bible Project is doing an interesting uh, discussion right now about Paul's letters. Right. And John Collins was saying that the tradition that he's from, that he was raised in, they basically almost exclusively preached from the epistles. Uh, and they didn't re- like you know every now and then they would go into the gospels, but there was some weird stuff in there, and they never really talked about the Old Testament at all, except to kind of cherry pick different verses here or there that would like back up what they were saying in uh, the letters. And speaking of the gospels, a really good book that I'm almost done is "How God Became King" by N.T. Wright, and I just love all his analogies on how we turn each gospel if you were if you were to put each gospel as a speaker we have turned the volume down and here turned the volume up really (laughs) high and this one and this one's like on mute yeah right so it's a really cool book i don't know if you want to put it in the show notes 
Oh, it's, um, it's great. It's, it, a, it, it's yeah, yeah I, I love it. I'm almost done now. I think I need more like 10 more pages to go. Uh, but when, when somebody asked me, it's like, oh, you like, you've been reading a lot of anti write books. Which one should I read first? Mm. Oh, a better question. What is the one book that will make the other books unnecessary? Well, well what is a easier? Easy. If I had to pick one book that will make his other books easier to read and digest, especially, especially when we come from a, a certain type of box. It will definitely be how God became king. He is direct to the point of how most Western cultures see the scriptures. Hmm. So, how God became king. Yeah, that, that's a that's a great book. Um, my my favorite, my gateway into N.T. Wright was uh, "Surprised by Hope." So yes. that, that's the one I would always recommend to people uh, right away. Although we have gotten some pushback because. Um, not enough scriptures. Not, he puts, I think he puts the scriptures more in the back. He kind of has like a discussion without like referencing scripture yeah. and, and verse. Um, but for today, you know, kind of getting back to conflict. Um, yeah, like even just being able to think differently. And I always use, I kind of always hold up N.T. Wright as an example too. Because, you know, being an Anglican bishop, um, I think he's still a bishop. I don't know if... I don't know exactly what his title is now, but, you know, he's in the Anglican Church and he's, you know, a wonderful scholar, brilliant. He writes books um, the way most people do, like Facebook posts, like, you know, of the same frequency. <laughs> you oh, know, okay, it seems like he's always putting out books. It's like you always turn around. There's another anti write book oh, coming out. Like it feels like they come out like several times a year. Prolific writer. Right. Um, he has uh, some disagreements uh, with some standard things in his own faith. And instead of turning around and starting, you know, the church of N.T. Wright, you know, he's very much in that camp and uh, they engage with each other. You know, they engage with each other in, in powerful debates um, where, you know, they, they they even talk about it like, oh, yeah, my friend, we had a debate about such and such, you know. Um, yeah, but I just saw him last week for lunch. Like, you know, they're still like they're still in the, the same tradition and um, they're able to have that healthy conflict. And that comes from a large amount of trust. Right, because if you don't trust the people that you're with, you really can't engage in that type of healthy dialogue. Hmm. You know, especially um, with some things where the the scriptures don't really seem to care one way or the other if you have certainty <laughs> about what it's talking about. Kind of hmm. some of the stuff that we were talking about earlier. So being able to have that healthy conflict in um, spiritual things, um, in matters of the heart, like if you think or feel differently. If you're going through different things, being able to tell each other anything and not really have any fear of repercussion. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of trust. So then going up from there, and there is a handout that you can um, you can download and read along with us as we're doing this. We're going we're traveling up the green arrow. So we we went from trust to conflict, we're leaving conflict into what is called commit or commitment. Once the group decides on a course of action, they act as one, presupposes that all disagreements were openly talked about and debated heavily, assumes that there is a high level of trust to foster such intense talks. So let's say there's a disagreement, mm -hmm. right? You know, like I think a lot of times we want to have those coming to Jesus moments mm -hmm. where somebody sees things our way, you know, and uh, we're like, I got to figure out that right thing to say. Like, you know, I need to 
know how to persuasively argue this from scripture so that this person will see the error of their ways and then we can all be unified where i think you know to, true unity sometimes is, is you know agreeing to disagree like and agreeing to have that that dialogue throughout the years you know maybe even decades you know whatever it takes um so you know but that presupposes that there's an environment where healthy conflict can exist and that again is largely dependent on whether or not you're in an environment where people trust each other and one way where i i feel like this you can tell this is wrong in some churches or some ministries right is you know i think a lot of us as christians we feel like of course we trust each other like you know like that's one of the things that makes us different you know than the world that's a lot of people would say you know who distinguish things in between secular and worldly mm-hmm. you know very hard line like we're christians we have the truth that's what defines us as the people of light of course we trust each other uh, but then when you look around uh you often find that people's actions don't back up that they do in fact trust each other uh for instance you know if you're leading a ministry mm-hmm. right and you have a lot of people coming to you first before they're going to other people to kind of get advice to get their heart right before they go and talk to whoever about something or they need advice on how to handle a situation, how to handle someone, um, that could be a huge indicator that there's a lack of trust in your group. You should be hearing about things uh, after they've already been resolved. That's also a sign. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's also a sign that the person is truly not open or willing to just listen to the other person say whatever they need to Mm -hmm. because somehow in their mind they're wrong and it becomes about who's wrong and who's right yeah yeah it's it yeah presupposes that there must be a right (laughs) a right and wrong in all this and you know maybe there's not right you know maybe you know i think sometimes there could be i think sometimes there could be a right and wrong but i think more often um, there's a lot more gray than we would like to admit. Yeah. We're uncomfortable with the gray area. Yes. We want to either be hot or cold, mm-hmm. black or white. Yeah. 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 And again, like, you know, like going back to the Bible, like the Bible, you know, kind of seems to like that. The Bible and a lot of it is, you know, a record of a nation like wrestling with their identity and wrestling with who is this God? that you know we serve you know and i think that we can learn a lot from the bible just understanding that it's okay to exist in that tension it's okay to not you know be able to say one way or the other what's right or what's wrong you know and that there needs to be a little bit more just commitment to you know each other and you know to you know follow the path mm-hmm. you and know that's- um, the, the same commitment that happens in marriage. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, yeah, if like, you know, if, if we have issues in our marriage, which all marriages have issues, yep. if, you know, my best friend is hearing about the issues in our marriage before <laughs> you hear about them, you know, or if like there's a lot of people that are hearing about issues before I bring them to you, that's a sign that there could be something off with our marriage mm-hmm. because, you know, marriage is a relationship. It's one of the closest relationships we have. And, you know, people who are married should know how to talk to each other. 
or rather how to listen to how to other. listen to each other yeah it's probably more and important. i'm speaking from experience really yeah what? you're definitely a better listener than than i am i would agree with that statement <laughs> I think that's been backed up by by evidence yes, and, yes. and personal history. But, you know, I think, yeah, I think even, I think a lot of times, too, people think in order to have healthy conflict, in order to, you know, commit to a group of people, that everyone needs to be equally good at everything that mm-hmm. comes to, like, relationships. And I don't think that's necessarily true. I think, you know, you can have great relationships where someone's a great listener and, uh, you know, someone is really good at expressing their feelings. You know, it seems to work for us. You know, you're much better than me at expressing how you feel. <laughs> yep. Right? You're like, this is how I feel. This is why I'm upset. Done. All right. And you're like, well, what's wrong? And I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> and I think it took a long time in even our friendship for you to understand that, wow, this boy literally has no idea what he's thinking. Yeah. Because you could almost feel like I was being, like, deceitful. Yes. Or, like, I didn't want to be open with you. Like, tell me the truth. And I'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't know. You know? And it's... But, you know, in terms of listening, you know, I I could have more strengths in listening because that's what I would want. Yeah. I think about what you said last episode with the harvest and its complexity. Mm. I love that because that commitment in saying we're diverse, we're different. We come in different shapes, sizes, opinions, strength, boxes. Going back to the POV series, we all come with it. And it's committing that we're going to accept that, but we're going to move forward. right? Mm-hmm. But it's accepting and committing that we're go- going to invite everyone in. Yeah. I, I just want to back up a little bit too. And I want to also like you know make the point, like if you're leading a group... Right, whether mm-hmm. you're a full-time uh, minister or you're a volunteer leader, I think they call them tent-making leaders nowadays. Uh, whatever, if you're leading a group of people, right? I think a lot of times people can feel that one of their greatest strengths is counseling people in this way. Mm-hmm. You know, people come to them with their issues of other people, right? And their days are sometimes spent with dealing with those issues. And I feel like sometimes you can walk away from the situations with a high level of satisfaction in your job and your role because you feel like you're helping people. I would like to, you know, throw out this challenge (laughs) that that might be a sign that your group is severely dysfunctional and not healthy. Mm -hmm. Because in my experience, um, you know, the best groups that I've been a part of is people know how to talk to each other and how to listen to each other. Mm-hmm. without needing to run it by someone else. Mm-hmm. So if you find yourself in a situation where your people are constantly coming to you about other people, I think it is a sign that something needs to change. And traveling up this path with your group could be very, very beneficial. You know, and, But I feel like sometimes people's identities have been wrapped so much into, I am so good at helping people, mm-hmm. that I think there needs to be a little bit of a letting go that oh. that might not have ever been my role and maybe in some ways I've been hurting my group than helping it by not by enabling them basically not to learn how to deal with each other. Yeah, that's a key word when you said enable. Mm-hmm. And it does take trust yeah. on that person to make their own mistakes and grow from them. Yeah, I know 
that the biggest lessons of my life have been when I've been either down on the floor hmm. or it's been the most painful. What do you mean by down on the floor? Meaning a mistake that I made. Oh, okay. Like you hit um, rock bottom? Yeah, rock bottom or as Brene Brown says, in the floor of the arena. Hmm. Being there with drip, sweat, blood and tear. Sure. Because there's only one way after you're down there. And mm-hmm. that way is up. Yeah. <laughs> it's one foot in front of the other. And then that means to kneel and then the other foot and then you stand. And then you stand stronger. You stand wiser. So just reminding us because... I know you mock me all the time that I'm a helicopter auntie. <laughs> like, what's the noise that you make? <laughs> She's giving me like the hand signals. Say, you you have both eyes on them. I'm about to go to the bathroom, and I'm I, like, we're in our living room. They're yeah. gonna be fine. And I never went to the military, but I get all these <laughs> skills that come out of nowhere. Maybe movies. Probably. And, and it's like it's that reminder. Yes, I'm totally 110 percent a mama bear. Mm-hmm. And it's remembering. It's really trusting God. Yep. It's really trusting God with that person's journey. Yeah, and I think it could feel messier at first, especially if you're in like some type of leadership position, because there could be like issues that you feel like aren't being addressed in your group. But in the long run, uh, it makes your group healthier. They don't they don't need you uh, for every little thing, and then you guys can start focusing on you know the bigger ticket items, like you know actually building a community that's centered around Jesus and God, and building you know a culture that's going to be more in line with the new humanity that God wants to bring, you know, to the earth. That's funny because really it, it brings you back to your role of, as a leader to keep people accountable. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Which is <laughs> the next level because, yeah. you know, you have trust, mm-hmm. conflict, commitment, and then you have accountability um, where individuals feel free to hold each other accountable to what the group decided to commit to. Also, there is an expectation that others will hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. You know, this presupposes that there has been a full buy-in from the group. Everyone's committed, right? And that issues have been fully disclosed. There's a healthy conflict. And that the group trusts each other, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing I feel like that is missing with accountability is that I think sometimes we have like a higher hierarchical mm-hmm. uh, conception of accountability, so, like, for instance, people at a certain level mm-hmm. in a group feel like that it's it's okay for people at their level maybe to hold them accountable. But people that are maybe, like, under them, yeah. you know, whether that's spoken of like that or not, right, mm-hmm. that's not the expectation. And it's almost, it's not very welcomed when it happens. Or being held accountable can, be, can happen from people who are above them, like yeah. people who are leading them. And I think, you know, in a healthy group, accountability is just the expectation. You know, whether you're uh, the leader, the boss, you know, the head cheese or the big jefe. Go- the jefe, the big kahuna, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, like the expectation is that everyone holds you uh, responsible. Yeah. And I will say in challenge the 
opinion of the corporate world mm-hmm. because people think that corporate people are like these cutthroat and all this and that's really not true i mean if you go to like amazon and google and apple all these very high-tech places they're hiring consultants Brene Brown has been there, you know, and so this is a myth. It's a myth um, that, I mean, I I don't know where it started really. Uh, However, we we have so many examples throughout history. We do. About leaders that, um, about leaders that are following this path, Mm -hmm. starting with trust, starting with creating that safe environment regardless of where you are in a company yeah you know and if um, you know we believe the story in the bible mm-hmm. you know the stories of the bible there's lots of examples where somebody was in a seemingly leadership position who was held accountable by someone of low rank or someone or a slave or a slave right someone who was not considered uh to be their peer we're talking about the sabbath in the sabbath everyone Including slaves. Yeah, that's right. And their animals. <laughs> and their animals. I love that part. <laughs> no one's allowed to work. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So the, yeah, there's an there's that there's that idea that you know everyone should feel free and should be expected to hold each other accountable. Yeah. You know we've been we've been dealing with this whole COVID situation in uh, New York, mm-hmm. right, New York City, where we live. And, you know, whatever your take is on everything, you know, one of the things I love about, you know, Governor Cuomo mm-hmm. is that, you know, I, I have been drinking a little bit of the, the Cuomo Gatorade. <laughs> I, I might, I may, uh, I need to confirm or deny that I've mugged my husband. She has. Like, oh, if, I guess like Cuomo says it, you believe it. I mean, you know, like, I feel like he's at every point, he's been pretty honest with us about what he knows and what's going on. But anyway, um, Cuomo for president. But the whole idea there is that, you know, with the masks, you know, kind of trying to stop the spread is like, you know, he kind of felt that, you know, New Yorkers needed to speak to each other. And if you see someone not wearing a mask, you know, address them and say, hey, where's your mask? Hmm. You know, because doing that is like the least someone can do. And I, I kind of feel like even if it's wrong information, you know, because I feel like there's a lot of contradictory information out there. I feel like I'm still going to wear a mask because like. I feel like that's just the least I can do. Like, you know, you're not asking me to do anything crazy. You're not asking me to, like, you know, go fight a war. It's just it's just a mask. And it's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But I can do it. Uh, yeah, this speaks to the whole committing. Because Jimmy and I are really in different sides of the coin when it comes to mask wearing. So I think it's such a great example <laughs> that we're still sitting in here. Yes. We're still married. We still respect each other, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, it's a beautiful, complex topic. Yeah, that we laugh about it. We're, cur- we're currently in the middle of right. We're currently laughing. We're yeah. currently riding that wave. You know, but some of the greatest leaders that I've admired, you know, throughout history, mm. you know, they've been the type of leaders that they expect everybody in their circles to hold them accountable, mm-hmm. like. They, they might be the general, right? Yes. You know, like George Washington when he was fighting the Revolutionary War, right? Uh, he was supposedly famous for this, is that he was very approachable for uh, his chief of staff, so whatever you would call them, mm-hmm. uh, the people who led other people for him, mm-hmm. right? He was very open, supposedly, 
you know, sometimes it's hard to know with these founding fathers. They're almost like mythic status to understand what's, you know, there's always a new biography coming out, whatever. But one of the things I was always taught is that George Washington was very good at listening to his leaders. Mm. So if he had firmly decided a course of action, mm-hmm. right, and one of his generals or lieutenants came to him and said, even in, even in public, no, that's a terrible idea, you know, however they would have said it, um, he would listen to them. They would have said it in a very Hamilton way. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. We've been watching that show too. By the way, you guys gotta go watch Disney it. Plus. Disney Plus. I think it's like $6 a month. It's so Ooh, worth it. What a great recap of history. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so... Yes, so being a leader who's willing to be held accountable and expect to be held accountable by everyone, Hmm. you know? And I think wherever you are in a ministry or a church or organization, you know, being willing to hold other people accountable and to, you know, you yourself be held accountable, I think uh, can really, you know, change a lot. And And it's a sign of a healthy ministry, a healthy group of people. Yeah, and it also comes to from understanding everyone's role mm-hmm. in, in a ministry, in a team, in a company. Yeah. So as a leader, you're not the smartest person of the room. And it's probably even, it's. I know I, I was told, your job is to hire people smarter than you. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> if you want to be a CEO for this nonprofit, uh, let's just say for the YMCA, where are my YMCA people? <laughs> If you want to be a CEO for YMCA, your job is to hire way, your job is to hire people way smarter than you. Yep. Your job is to lead them. Yeah. Supposedly, I think it was Henry Ford was once being interviewed by a group of reporters Mm -hmm. uh, who were basically challenging him because they didn't feel like he was very smart. Uh And he's like, oh, I'm smart. And he's like, ask me anything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they started asking him like, difficult questions and he would push a button and then someone for on his who worked for him would come in and he would he would repeat the questions to them then he would get the answer and they kept like quizzing him and he kept like pressing different buttons yeah yeah. and so the whole like moral of that story Mm -hmm. is kind of like you know you don't have to be the smartest person in the room you don't have to know all the answers Mm -hmm. you have to just be able to work and serve with people who do and to seek them out exactly yeah Exactly. And I think, you know, ministry leaders uh, can put a lot of pressure on themselves. Yes. I remember when I was a, a brand new Bible talk leader mm-hmm. 20-something years ago, mm-hmm. like, I felt a lot of pressure. Like, I needed to know. Everything. Everyone was looking at to me. Like, mm-hmm. I needed to know everything, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I, my first Bible talk that I led was a campus Bible talk. So, you know, there's, like, students and everybody is really into, like, learning and you know, you kind of feel like you needed to, to know all this stuff mm-hmm. where, you know, the way I, I run discussion groups now is very different. You know, I, I almost delight in the things that I don't know. I think that's those are the things that, you know, now almost 20 years in as in this tradition that we're in now, like I get more excited over the things I don't know than the things I do. Right. Because you're, you're staying curious. Yeah. You're a learner. You want to know. Yeah. And there's something beautiful about being with a group of people and being on that discovery process mm. together. Where I feel like in the West, where, you know, we have that idea of the scholar alone in their room, reading and learning in isolation. Mm. I think we've lost some of the community learning mm-hmm. that was more present, uh, you know, in the East and in, especially in Jesus's time. You know, because they didn't have copies of the scripture, 
you know, like that they took home <laughs> and they read before they went to bed or first thing in the morning, they were going to a place where those tomes were kept, those books, mm. those scrolls. And so there was a lot of like learning in a community. Mm. You, I love that kind of learning. Yeah. And I actually, you know, like I've always been naturally better at English than I am at any other subject. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I think I was telling you and someone else the other day, uh, I I used to... I used to uh, get really good grades on book reports oh. <laughs> on books that, that I never read because I would look at the book. And we were so jelly when I would, we said that. I would read the back and I'd be like, and this was before the internet, you know, uh-huh. to kind of show my age where I couldn't like look at stuff up online. And Wikipedia. And I, and I would like, you know, I'd write about the book and I'd be writing about a book to a teacher who assigned the book. So the teacher is a quote unquote expert in this book, mm. you know, and I did, I did very well. And when I taught honors level English uh, in high school, uh, you know, these kids were these kids were brilliant, but I often taught out of books that I, I myself was just reading mm. because I had learned a better way to approach a book. And a lot of learning can be done in a community. And I think one of the greatest gifts that I think in reframing education, which I think is really important, reframing learning, especially for like church settings and ministry ses- settings, is the idea of the leader not being the expert. Mm-hmm. But the leader being an expert in being, or the leader being be- a better student. Mm-hmm. And a facilitator. And a facilitator. Mm-hmm. So, and I think if leaders can reframe themselves that way, mm-hmm. that they don't have to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. We're going to find this out together. Yeah. And if the leader cannot necessarily transfer knowledge to other people, but how to be curious, mm-hmm. how to seek out information, how to ask better questions, how to, ask better questions, how to learn, a highly influential book for me was How to Read a Book by Adler. I have not read that one That I yet. keep going back to. I, you, do. you do. I do. And just, just the idea of that book, even just, you know, learning how to engage a book, hmm. you know, because in a sense, when you read a book, you're having a conversation with an, an author, hmm, you know, and how to, there's even ways that you can frame it while you're reading a book that that conversation can even be two ways. Like you can be engaging with a book as you're reading it, and I, I just love that idea that I could I could go I could sit down for an hour and I can have I can engage with someone who's been dead for over two thousand years. I can engage with you know the Stoic philosophers. I can engage with people who are you know just a few generations dead, like great great philosophers and great thinkers and great theologians. And that that's that's open to me. You know, um, I think, you know, it's our responsibility as leaders to make sure that we're creating an environment where accountability is the accept, is the expectation, mm. not the exception. Like, you it's know, like good, good quote. not that, you know, people are just every now and then it's like, whoa, that person really held someone accountable, you know, mm. and I think this can easily be abused too. I think if you are operating from an upside down triangle, because now we're getting close to the top of the triangle. And it's results first, mm-hmm. right? And now you're holding everyone accountable, but you didn't go through trust, conflict, and commitment. So there's no like, there's no buy-in from anybody. There's no healthy conflict. There's no trust, mm-hmm. right? This is where I think a lot of things go wrong. And then, you know, people are, are help, they're holding people to accountable to things that people either haven't bought into or it's just, it's just very haphazard. And then it becomes like a stick. Accountability can become a stick 
where you're kind of trying to drive your agenda forward, right, through sheer force of will or mm. sheer force of personality, yeah. where it's like if you've spent that time building lots of trust, people can be vulnerable with each other, right? There's healthy conflict. People know how to not run things by their leaders every time they have a conflict, but they're able to engage each other in healthy ways, right? Healthy amount of conflict. And there's that commitment to some type of bigger purpose or, you know, to a community. We're all bought in here. We all agree. This is, you know, because we've, we've been through everything. We've had the healthy conflict. We're able to be vulnerable with each other. Then accountability becomes this beautiful thing, right? Where it's like people can really show up mm-hmm. and make people better, mm-hmm. you know? When I've led groups of people before, um, one of the things I always tried to practice was that it was to tell people this and to demonstrate this that you know like I even as the leader I expect to be held accountable for everything mm-hmm. and that there would be no, there would be no repercussions even if they were wrong mm-hmm. like you know even if they were wrong about whatever they were saying like you know it was it was received it was welcomed and that was a pathway for us to open up some type of dialogue right um, but in groups that I've been a part of where that's not been healthy, you know, it's kind of like all of a sudden you're getting called into someone's office, you're getting invited to sit down with someone to talk, and it's like it can feel like it's coming out of nowhere and it's not appreciating all the other stuff that you might have been doing. Right? You're speaking from experience, it sounds like. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, I think, you know, yeah, I think pre-2003, this was something that was a huge problem in our family of churches, mm-hmm. you know, people holding people accountable without having healthy groups, um, you know, results first. And to be honest, I feel like this is still something that's that's kind of there, you know, but it's like... it's it, We call that passive-aggressive. It's more like passive-aggressive or it's more of like an attitude. It's more of like, it's like in the air. Like, you know, there are certain people that are... Or you, you feel like you're being handled. Yeah. There are certain people who are dependable, Right, people who know how to do the results, and then there's everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. But now, traveling up again this path, so we have trust, conflict, commitment, accountability, results. The reason why results is at the top, okay? Because if you've done all the hard work of setting all this other stuff up, mm-hmm. right, all the other different levels, results become almost inevitable. Like you can't even stop them from happening. Mm-hmm. Instead of having to go out and drive your agenda and push things forward, things actually just kind of start to happen. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's amazing. When, you, when you're a part of a group that has built this, whether you're just in it or you're, you happen to be, you know, lucky enough to be leading that, mm-hmm. it's an amazing experience. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like I've been on both sides of the fence. I've been both kind of leaders as well, you know, full transparency. And I think for me, it's like having experienced when that, those results start happening because you've done all that other hard work on their own. I never, ever want to go back to any other type of leadership or any other type of organizing people ever again. So, yeah. So, you know, I feel like it's more fun to lead groups like this. I think, um, you know, Interacting with different leaders um, in and out of the church who who don't build this way, who are more results oriented, it's just not a good life. It's not fun, you know. It's it's hard. It produces all types of stuff like just feeling that 
you're the only one who really cares. Everything's up to you. Oh, these people, <laughs> you know, where I think like building it the proper way, you know, especially focusing in on our trust, keeping and maintaining that trust, an air of vulnerability, right, I think is, is the way to go. So if you find yourself, you feel like, you know, like there, something needs to change. If you find yourself feeling like you're the only one, if leading just feels hard, if you're exhausted at the end of your day, uh, whether you're a ministry leader or a volunteer leader or you're leading in any capacity, if it's exhausting <laughs> to, to be the person in charge, uh, there's a problem with your group. The group is dysfunctional. The group is unhealthy. And there is a pathway and a proven strategy to get out of that. But it all begins and ends with you willing to be vulnerable, willing to go first, and then traveling up that path to create an environment of healthy conflict over a foundation of trust, of commitment, of accountability, and then watching the results almost happening on the on their own. You know, I think uh, I always think of uh, enzymes, and what enzymes do is they basically lower the activation energy for mm. certain. Th- chemical or physical processes to happen okay right so you might have like an ocean full of two different chemicals Mm -hmm. and over time those chemicals will react to produce something else but it might take millions of years and with enzymes it happened much much quicker right because it lowers that activation energy and uh you know another great book not to add to your guys summer reading collection but i'm going to is the one thing you know, and I think trust is they they have the analogy of the dominoes, mm-hmm. right? That you can start with a domino that's very very small, and that domino can tip over a domino that's twice as big, and twice as big, and twice as big, until like you can start really pushing over some huge dominoes. And there's some cool videos online where people have like built like pretty big dominoes mm-hmm. that get knocked over like just by one small little regular sized domino. Yeah. And I think building this way lowers that activation energy that you need, right? It makes those results so much easier and really like almost inevitable. When you have a healthy group, right? They can just get things done. <laughs> they can just get things done quickly, like very mobile, they can switch directions very quickly. And, uh, you know, stay healthy as a group. It's fun to be a part of a group like this where, you know, like everyone, you know, has kind of gone up this path. They love each other. They trust each other. All of these other elements are, are present, healthy conflict, commitment and accountability. It's just it's just a beautiful thing to be a part of. You've mentioned in the past is staying in that tension. Mm-hmm. So don't look at it as like, oh. I'm such a bad leader. Oh my God. (laughs) My team is so dysfunctional. What I'm going to do? You know, it's following the path. It's, it really is vulnerability is having the humility to understand that perhaps you're putting too much effort when really you want to be is be you, be open, be open to your group now. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, I think we have a dysfunctional group. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Like, this is such an opportunity. This is an invitation to allow people to start expressing those feelings. Yeah. And I also like to say, too, that this isn't just like a one-time deal. 
like, okay, we're going to go on a, on a retreat. We're going to go to a training and everything. Yay. We solve life. Like, you know, this is something that you have to keep going back to. You have to keep walking the path. You have to keep doing the work. Um, for me, even when I've, I've been a part of, and I've led like healthy teams, right. And very functional teams. This is something I always have to remind myself because I am very results based. Like I feel like I can do things in my own power and my own strength, and I, I just know how to get things done. Well, how does that make you feel when um, you're result based, performance? Based? Yeah, it makes you feel like tired and just lonely. Pressure. Lots of pressure, and it's something for me that I always in my own life I always have to call myself back to. Okay, what really matters here? Mm-hmm. You know, is it results, mm-hmm. or is it everything else? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times just you know taking a step back, and then. Again, being vulnerable with my group really helps. Even recently, um, I guess maybe a year ago now, when we were helping with a a children's ministry, right, there was a supply issue, right? Supplies needed to be stored where we were meeting for some children's classes for our church, right? And uh, I had to go, I felt that I had to go get them every day and Mm -hmm. I had to prep them every day. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. one day I was in this dirty basement in this facility that we rent and I was I was running because I was running a little late and people needed supplies and a whole bunch of supplies just like slipped off of a really high shelf and kind of like smacked me in the head and I got like this like cut mm-hmm. and like a little bit of like a big black eye <laughs> and I felt like it was God just like waking me up a little bit and just like reminding me that that that's not how you want to do things. Yeah. You don't want it to be all about you. And then through that process, I included everyone else and the supplies, I stopped making it be all about me, and it was a, it was such a better system for everybody, because people were like, "Oh, thank goodness!" Because we were very impatient with how long it took you to get our supplies, <laughs> you know. And so, it, it giving them some of the power back to them helped the whole situation, and you know, like the group was able to solve the problem much better than I was able to do on my own. But it took me to admit. I'm having an issue. <laughs> Could you guys help me? Uh, you know, and then, you know, people had different opinions on how to handle that problem. And then we committed to a course of action. And then we held each other accountable. And it, it took me as a leader out of the equation. And it made things run so much smoother. And if we look at the way Jesus led, and if we remember where Jesus remind his disciples, is that he had to go and suffer and go through pain in order for him to become king. And I've been pondering on that, on that really just this past two weeks finishing this book and why I brought it up at the beginning, how God became king, because it it's helping me understand that, really, there's one leader. <laughs> one leader who actually did take all of this in his shoulder and it doesn't have to be on us guys it doesn't have to be a new regional leader it doesn't have to be a new bible talk leader it doesn't have to be a new ceo of a company or a nonprofit. allow yourself to be open to the group to the to the group that god has put in yeah. front of you yeah and i think at every level it also takes you know, responsibility, mm-hmm. you know, because I think like just being responsible for our part. Yes. You might not be the leader, you know, yes. or you might be, 
you know, but wherever you are, just understanding that, you know, it can't all be everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be the group, the church, the ministry you're a part of. It it also has to be you too. And just understanding uh, your own role in it uh, makes really all this possible. Because I do feel like sometimes trusting it do- and being vulnerable, it does mean getting hurt. And it does mean suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of times that suffering can lead to a lot of dysfunction and a lot of, you know, breaking up. Yeah. A lot of really bad things in the history of the church. Yeah, usually when there's suffering, either you quickly want to protect yourself mm-hmm. or you open yourself. So you, you have it. It's your choice. Either you're going to close or you're going to open. Yeah. And so you got to lean on... On, you got to lean on trusting God to stay open, stay open with your group, stay open with the people who are around you, stay open to your walk with God, stay open to accountability, stay open to committing to what, what, to what, um, stay open to your commitment, stay open to the conflicts that will come your way it's not if it's when when they come your way what's going to be your response Mm -hmm. yeah and that's great and as we'll see you know that kind of finishes up the path for us uh trust conflict commit accountability and results you can get the pdf um either in the show notes or by going to our website our website is really the best place Uh, to be going. Uh, I try and include different videos and different resources that, you know, can help you explore these topics much more further than we could in our short little episodes. And as mentioned, at the end of this month, we actually chose the day. It will be Friday, July 31st, where we're going to open it up for a roundtable to discuss the three episodes on building trust we hope to see you there go to facebook why superstars and sign up to be part of the round table discussion around the topic of trust around the topic of trust and that is finishing up our path discussion and next we're going to be getting into the pattern so when we look at the scriptures as a whole we can see begin to see a pattern and this pattern coincidentally fits quite well with the path that we just outlined. So be looking forward to that. We're gonna be doing a large global view of scripture. It's gonna be fun. Uh, These are discussions that I love to have. Um, And we will see you next time. Adios muchachos. Adios muchachos.